0: Pastor Gary Wagner will continue our survey of revelation here today as we return to chapter 13. Another look at the dragon and the beast. So who is the dragon? Who is the beast? When do they show up? What do they look like? What will they do? These are questions that have fascinated Christians over the centuries. And today, we continue our look at Revelation, specifically chapter 13, as well as Daniel chapter 7, as we focus our attention on this dragon and the beast recorded here. Just who they are and what their purposes are is the subject of our time today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with this edition. Of abounding grace.
1: Here you have the beast claiming incomparability, claiming to be the incomparable one. Who is as great as the beast? And the implied answer that they want is no one. Not the God of the Christians, not Jesus, no one. Who is able to stand up in war against the beast? And, of course, they expect the world to say, no one is like the beast. Who is as competent as the beast? No one. Now, that is actually the faith of way too many Christians today, beloved, that when there is any kind of crisis in life, from health to jobs to economic issues or whatever it may be, The first thing Americans think is the government is the omni-competent institution, that the government is competent in all areas, more competent than everyone else to help us through all of these various areas and troubles of life. Who is like unto the beast? Now, a true Christian would say, of course, God is even greater than the beast, But you see, the point is here that the beast claims to be divine. He is a great pretender. He is a great imitator, a great counterfeit. And like all totalitarian states, this beast attributes to itself powers and authorities that belong exclusively to God. And that is the way it has always been to this day, with reference to power states that claim for themselves authority and rights and sovereignty which belong to God alone. And they are all idolaters. Ancient Rome and Egypt and many of the other nations in the ancient world view their rulers as gods. Communism recognizes no god except the state, and it doesn't hesitate to speak of the state as God. You may say, well, man, I'm glad I live in a democracy. Well, let me tell you what a modern democracy says. It claims to be the voice of the people. And the voice of the people, they say, is the voice of God. So whenever any kind of civil government builds itself upon a revolt against God, it always becomes a counterfeit God. It always imitates God and claims and usurps authority that belong to God alone. Today, the United States government makes promises and demands only God can make. They promise cradle-to-grave security, and they demand our property and our children. They require allegiance to unconstitutional and ungodly demands because the magistrates, you see, see themselves above Almighty God, determining good and evil for us. Satan, indeed, is a great counterfeiter and imitator. Let's go back to verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast... And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, now, before we look at this wound, which is brought up two or three times, here he is wounded, he's slain with a sword, but he apparently is saved from the dead, or the wound actually wasn't fatal, and he recuperates. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but it is a big thing in this passage, And I want you to notice first that to worship the beast and to worship Satan is the same thing. There is no difference. Now, what is it to worship an anti-Christian totalitarian civil government? It is to give unquestioned allegiance to it, to obey it no matter what. You know, many doctors said, very wicked doctors back during the days of the Nazi regime, when they were being held accountable for all of their experimentation, and this was along with the brutality of many of the soldiers, over and over again they said, we were simply doing what we were ordered to do, and a good soldier obeys orders unquestioningly. No, he does not. A Christian soldier sometimes disobeys orders if those orders command him to disobey God. And the point I'm getting at is that that same absolute blind allegiance that was given to Hitler is still today in this country, the attitude of many liberals and conservatives. We have bumper stickers that say, America, love it or leave it. There was an ultra-right-wing organization that had a bumper sticker that I cringed every time I saw, and it said, Sovereign Forever. And it wasn't talking about God. It was talking about the people of the United States. But, beloved, only God is sovereign, period. And He's sovereign forever, In fact, it's interesting the way the word sovereignty has crept into the American language over the past 200 years. We often speak of the federal government's sovereignty or the sovereignty of the states. Whereas our founding fathers in the 16 and 1700s were very hesitant to ever use the word sovereignty concerning any institution except for Almighty God. Because God is the eternal sovereign. And any authority that man has is delegated by God. And I'm trying to show you here. That if you give the civil government unquestioned allegiance. That you do whatever it tells you to do. You are worshipping the beast. If it tells you to jump and you ask how high. And you never ask. You never question it, you never differ with it, you never resist it, you never say no to it. You depend upon the civil government for cradle-to-grave security. You think there is no one in all of North America that is as competent as the state to take care of you when you're sick, when you're poor, when you are without a job, when you're old, when you are in need of legal advice, you are worshipping the beast. Caesar would let various religions alone for a while. And all they had to do was worship their own god of their choice. But they also had to at least profess to worship Caesar. They could worship in their churches and in their homes, whatever they wanted to do. But whenever they were around Caesar or any of his statues, or any of his insignias, they had to bow. They had to make some kind of public profession that Caesar is Lord. So that was the way of life in this beastly state in the first century. And it has been the way of life for many people in every century since that as long as you swear some kind of unquestioned allegiance to Caesar, you can worship however you like, but you must obey him without question. That's what it is to worship the beast. Now, what is this? I saw one of his heads as if he had been slain. You notice one head was slain so violently that it, it affected the entire beast. It says his fatal wound was healed, and the whole world was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, what was this slain and either brought back to health or resurrected beast? Well, I have to be truthful. I'm not really sure, but I'd like to give you a few educated guesses. In the days of Nero, uh, there was a myth called the Nero Redivivus myth. And I might be saying that wrong. It's spelled R D R E D I V I V U S, And that is the myth that if something could happen to Nero, if he were slain or if he were to die somehow, the blow or the disease would not be fatal or he would be resurrected back to life. So maybe this is a veiled reference to this, as we have seen so many times in the book of Revelation, to Nero Caesar. But I think it may mean something other than that. But if this is what you would choose to believe, you're more than welcome to do so. But here is what I think. Now again, remember, this is all figurative. Satan's head had been crushed by Christ on the cross of Calvary. This beast is identified with the dragon. And during the days of the Roman Empire, even during the centuries of the church's persecution, Christian churches were found everywhere. And the gospel continued to spread until later on, emperors even wanted to decree that Jesus is divine. And they wanted to rule by Christian law and defend the family, etc. So in my opinion, this is a picture of the dragon head already being crushed by Christ. The dragon was killed, as we saw last week. And the Roman Empire that represented that dragon and was energized by that dragon was wounded to death by the sword of the gospel. And you know, the, the book of Romans ends in Romans 16 saying, Satan's head will be crushed under your feet shortly. And he's talking about Rome. Paul is writing to this church in the midst of Rome, and just as Satan's head was crushed, so the great representative of Satan, the Roman Empire, will be crushed as well. And though Satan will try to imitate some of the, some of the r- revival to power, Basically, he has been wounded to death with the sword of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you can think of a better interpretation, you go right ahead. Now, verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies against God, and authority to act for 22 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who... And dwell in heaven. You see, whatever this state was doing, whatever it was saying, its whole purpose was to destroy and to discredit the tabernacle. That is, not those who dwell on earth. That is a phrase in the book of Revelation for the enemies of God, but for those whose citizenship is in heaven, those who sit in heaven. That is the focus of and the target of Satan's warfare. But he has been given authority to act for 22 months. He can't determine the length of his authority. Only the head of the church, the king of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, can determine how long this beast is going to exercise any kind of naked power, bloodthirsty authority in the persecution of the church. And, and we have seen time and again now in our study that this 42 months, 1260 days, Three and a half years is a numerical symbol for a period of trouble for the church in which they are subjected to their enemies for a little while. We have seen this various times, that three and a half years, 42 months, doesn't mean literally three and a half years or 42 months. It is a broken seven, which is a number for completion, and it symbolizes a complete, a long and perfect time, while three and a half is a broken seven, meaning it is partial. It is incomplete. And wherever it is used in Scripture, it is used in reference to a period of trouble, a short but serious period of trouble determined by the Lord Jesus Christ, in which the enemy of the gospel seem... To have the upper hand. Now, there is another minor issue here. Even though this prophetic usage, I believe, is not primarily literal, it is interesting to note that Nero's persecution of the church did, in fact, last 42 months. It lasted from the middle of November 64 AD until the beginning of 68 AD. So it's interesting that the period of persecution by Nero was actually 42 months. Now, verse 7. It was given to him to make war with the saints, even though he was wounded. He is not going to die easy, beloved. He is still going to use whatever power that he has to make war against the saints, the holy ones, the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, those who belong to God, those he has marked, sealed with baptism, those whom he earlier measured in the temple and is separated from those who will be destroyed, the saints. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them for a while, three and a half years. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. The Roman Empire was global. And all who dwell on the earth. You see, the distinction is between those who dwell in heaven and those who dwell on earth. Those who dwell on earth are unbelievers. That is the way that phrase is used throughout the book of Revelation. And those who dwell in heaven does not mean those who died and went to heaven... It means those whose citizenship is in heaven who are really not a part of this world's system of evil and who have been separated, that is, the saints, from it by God's effectual calling. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So the only people who will worship power states like totalitarian Rome, and of course, it is a symbol of all power states, that all who devote themselves to totalitarian anti-Christian regimes are people whose names have never been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. No elect person will ever worship The beast. But if your name is not in the book of life. You will. Now there's a great. There's a clear statement there in verse 8. That there are people who are not elect. And there are people who are elect. And it uses the figure of the Lamb's book of life. In which the elect that have their name written in it. Since before the beginning of the universe. And the non-elect who are always the enemy of the elect, and worship the beast, who never had their names written in the Lamb's book of life from all eternity. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes, If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Here is good news for the saints. Here is what will encourage God's faithful people to withstand all of the assaults of the enemy and to stand sure and not deny their faith. And that is... That God has predestined that everyone who is destined to go into captivity will go into captivity. And everyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And that has been predestined by God himself. Rome had no future. Power states have no future. Civil magistrates who seek to persecute the people of God as bloody beasts have absolutely no future. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And that is the perseverance of the saints. That is the patience and faith of the saints. And what is patience? It is that which keeps you from giving in and giving up. Faith means that you keep your focus on Christ as the king of the nations, the one who is in charge of everything, who has bound Satan, and who makes sure that everything goes his way and not Satan's way. This is an extremely powerful word of encouragement. And the promise is the persecutors of the church will experience the vengeance of God and will suffer the same evil which they inflict upon the saints. Now, what is the conclusion of this section? First of all, the verse about if anyone kills with the sword, he must be killed is actually a loose translation of Jeremiah 15.2, which says, And it shall be that when they say to you, Where shall we go? And talking about the apostate Jews. Then you are to tell them. Thus says the Lord. Those destined for death will go to death. Those destined for the sword will go to the sword. Those destined for famine will go to famine. Those destined to captivity will go to captivity. That the future is secure for the people of God. And that those who seek to persecute the people of God. Have no future now here is the conclusion of this section verses 1 through 10 according to russos rashtuni there are two powerful movements manifesting themselves in human history apostate man works to create a paradise on earth without god without law and without morality the morality of humanism is that man is his own law and that no moral law beyond man can govern man. On the other hand, regenerate man works to reestablish the law order of God among men, to establish home, church, state, work, and society in terms of the word of God, and to manifest the kingdom of God. In other words, there will always be a war between the saints and the beast. There is no neutralized zone. There is no bargaining or negotiations. There will always be a war between the beast, the totalitarian anti-Christian state and the saints. That is those who belong to God. At least until Christ makes all the nations his footstool. And that is your promise, beloved. The wicked have no future whatsoever they will all fall into their own scheming traps and you will come through it unscathed with an eternity in the presence of our almighty God.
0: Eight six six five six oh seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB post mailbox four oh two. which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, will not you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408 Thank you for joining us. Until next time. God bless.